With the new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming. Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service with AutoPay. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details. And I am thrilled, guys, to be starting this special series of interviews in our Keep It Alive podcast segment by CXO Life, where we will bring forth stories of people who are not only living their passion, but helping others keep their dream alive by enabling them to aspire for that elusive balance in some way or the other. And what better way to commence the series than with this gentleman who has been the go-to person for top-performing athletes in the country, from Mary Com to Saina Nehwal. Please join me in welcoming our first guest, Mr. Nikhil Latte, who is a, wait for it, a sports scientist. Yes, we had that same reaction. Nikhil heads the sports science division of Sports Med Active, a one-stop junction for athletes with imaging, orthopedics, physiotherapy, osteopathy, rehab and sports science support. Now, Nikhil is probably among less than a handful of such unique practitioners in the country who specializes in exercise physiology, physiotherapy, athlete assessment, treatment and recommendations to improve performance. Among his notable achievements, Nikhil had headed the medical team of the Olympic Gold Quest, was the personal physiotherapist for Mary Com in the lead up to and at London Olympics 2012. He's also attended the National Boxing Camp for Commonwealth Games 2010 and Asian Games 2010. Now, Nikhil will help us decode that science behind not only the sport, but the human body. In this conversation, he shares how anyone can build up their performance by being diligent, more self-aware and following some very basic tips which go a long way in improving performance. So this is for all you aspiring marathoners, triathletes, sportsmen and women and for others who are dreaming of targeting that next marathon or milestone. So let's move it guys. As Nikhil puts it, motion is lotion. Hey Nikhil, hi. Welcome to Keeper Life series by CXO Life and we are really excited to welcome you on the series. Thank you for coming. Now you're the go-to person in the country of sorts I think for top performing athletes when it comes to performance boosting and fitness and from the likes of Mary Com, Saina Nehwal, Gaganta Narang and you've also been quoted widely across papers for all of this. Considering you have CXOs participating in, you know, we have CXOs participating in triathlons, marathons, we thought it would be very interesting to have your perspective on a spectrum of topics, you know, regarding uh, building performance, certain myths in terms of building a stamina. There are quite a few myths. There are a few. (laughs) And also your own passion because we are a portal... You know, we derive inspiration from that and you have quite a few. Rock climbing, running, swimming. So that we will touch upon later. 
Sure. Now, to begin with, you're a sports scientist. That's not a yes. term, I think. <laughs> we get to hear fairly often. Yeah. So I have my seven-year-old. I told him, so he wants to every time, whom am I going interviewing? So I right. said, I'm going to interview sports scientists. And he was so excited. He was like, who is a sports scientist? <laughs> is there something like that? Yes. yes. Is there something yes, like there that? Is. So I want to know, and this is his first So he, he had a list of questions. He said, but better tell him it's my questions as okay. well. <laughs> okay. So why and how did you choose this, you know, this profession? Um, it did always it comes from personal experience. So I started out as a short distance swimmer, 50 meters, 100 meters. Right. And then somehow I got into long distance and in six months time I was able to reach nationals. So this was when I was in bit training for a few years. It wasn't just, you know, I started and I reached nationals. It took a few years. But when? How old were you? I was uh, 13, 14 at the time. So yeah, the competition wasn't that great. So I was able to crack it faster. (laughs) But the point was that I kept thinking that if someone had just told me earlier that I'm built more for endurance events rather than sprint events, maybe I could have done more because... In urban India, especially in Mumbai, and for a middle class families, you know, ninth tak karo and then uske baad pay attention to your studies, right. right? So at the age of 15, of course, I had to stop swimming, pay attention to studies. I did start again in, you know, in my college, but yeah, it wasn't competitive. So I looked around and I figured out that it's the job of a sports scientist to do all these things. And so I looked around and there was no sports science in India. This is two decades ago. There was no institutes, no colleges, nothing, nothing at all. The closest thing that came to it was physiotherapy. So did my 12th, gave my medical CET and... Yeah, I chose physiotherapy. Practiced for a couple of years, but then the passion for sports science is always there. So I ended up doing my master's in London in sports science. So that was the whole idea that how do you spot performance and, you know, how do you figure out who's going to be better at what else? Yeah, that's what I did. That's like in Derby and you have horses running, (laughs) you place your bets on a horse. Pretty much, pretty much. But there's actual science that goes into it. Really? Yeah, there's actual science that goes into it. So is is this a fairly modern profession, sports Uh, In India, yeah. In India, yes. In India, yes. Budding right But then abroad, it's been there for decades and decades. I mean, I think the Soviets were looking, I mean, even before that, the Nazis were looking a lot into human performance. Mm -hmm. People have always, at at least the militaries have always wanted stronger soldiers and, Mm -hmm. you know, soldiers who can keep fighting on pain-free, injury-free, etc, etc. When you apply those principles of high performance and reduce fatigability to the arena of sports, you can call it sports science. Before that, you can call it torture maybe (laughs) but whatever the point is the idea of improving performance has always been around i mean if you go way back 2000 years when the first olympics were started in ancient greece people had notions that if you eat something it will improve your speed if you eat that it will cause you to be smarter so people have always looked for ergogenic aids people have always looked for that x factor that will get you to win or Mm. perform more so in that essence it's not a new field but the awareness that Talent alone cannot win you medals at the Olympics and that you need a hardcore scientific backing to enhance your natural ability is something that is new in India. And since it's budding now, I think the even I improve our performance at Olympics is also gradually there is some kind of there is some, some hope, kind of I think yes. improvement also. Yes. And you also, I mean, you're so connected with the Olympian bit as well, isn't it? You've been yes. You've been in. So I've been to a couple Olympics. of Olympics. Yes. Yes. So will you also share with us? I mean, how did that come about? So what happened was after I 
finished my masters in london i always wanted to come back it was always my dream to help indian athletes do more hopefully win medals at the olympics so i came back i was given an opportunity to basically my employer once i came back said hey we need you to do this but because your passion is that we'll give you some resources for that <laughs> so that's how we started with a very rudimentary sports science lab in mumbai that was a carrot that was the <laughs> carrot yeah that was the carrot that got me to do the hard work so i wrote my friend in who's a sports physio so he is a sports physio i'm a sports scientist we started doing stuff we had no equipment we were only doing field testing and working with our hands and figuring out what's wrong and what can be improved and that's how we got in touch with olympic gold quest mm-hmm. olympic gold quest started well it started long back but the current ceo took over in 2009 so in 2009 within a month of him becoming the ceo we actually had a meeting and he being a top level athlete himself and ex india captain in hockey he was always interested in the science of sport he's also trained and played in abroad so he sees how much effort goes into it into right. getting that final few percentage points mm-hmm. because to be honest the difference at the highest level is less than a percent between right. the winners exactly. and those who don't mm-hmm. even reach the finals so he was very keen on it and that's how we started and then when the time came to move on like my work the work that they wanted me to do was done <laughs> I said that now I need to pursue my passions. OGQ was expanding. They needed someone to take care of the medical side of things. So I joined them as uh, head of sports science and rehab. You said that 1%, you know, it matters. Yes. So how how much does it matter? See, it's like this. In order to create a champion, you need nature and nurture. So first you have to be good enough. Okay, so, so tomorrow I say I want to do a hundred meter dash. Mm-hmm. I'm not good enough. I'm not tall enough, strong enough, fast enough. Right? I was going to say that. So how much that the nature component? So the is, nature component matters in matters. deciding what sport you want to do. But success in that sport, frankly, comes down to hard work. So the amount of effort you are ready to put in, the amount of hardships you are ready to take, that finally creates a champion. So if you take the top eight in any sport. they're not too far off in terms of number of hours of training the passion the ability mm-hmm. there are exceptions i mean right. when you think about a bolt when you think about a phelps those are freaks i mean seriously <laughs> those guys are amazing but if you take those two out if you see the rest of the group like even in the 2008 beijing olympics when bolt literally announced right. himself onto mm-hmm. the world if you take him out of the equation the remaining eight guys they were very close to each other so ultimately what it comes down to is that extra 1% and you'll be surprised where that 1% comes from it depends on person to person right. it depends on the sport to sport but sometimes it's as simple as sleeping half an hour extra every day oh yes it yeah it could be as simple as that okay. where maybe you're not recovering well from monday into tuesday tuesday into wednesday and just sleeping more allows you to be fresher so allows you to train harder so improves your performance so i was going to speak be... of myth busters and i think we all we landed ourselves oh on. yeah we did that <laughs> so you got to sleep very well rest oh, yeah. is very so, important like when i went with mary for the london olympics i pretty much used to ensure that she slept for around 10 to 12 hours every day 10 to 12 hours because that's how hard her training was because she used to do running in the morning and boxing in the afternoon two weeks from the olympics her total training in a day was about 2 hours but a week from the olympics it was just 1 hour and 10 minutes mm-hmm. total so about sprints in the morning for about 10 minutes and then boxing in the afternoon but the intensity was so high that in the cold of liverpool she used to lose about 2 liters of sweat in an hour so if you're going to push and punish yourself that much despite her ability and she's a phenomenal athlete she's Definitely. she's a yes. different category you still need to sleep well so So we had to put her under the microscope, check her 
weight six times a day, what she ate, when she ate, how much she ate, how much water she drank, how many hours she slept. When you knock on the door in the morning, does she wake up refreshed or is she rubbing her eyes when she's going out for a run? In which case you have to give a longer warm up, taper the training down. So you have to literally, you know, match Shadow it. her, is it? Pretty oh. much. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty so much. you're much on her case. Uh, do, don't they say like, oh my God, just give me a break? Or of course they, they do. <laughs> of course they do. So Mary used to say it, uh, what you have to notice everything. Uh, but she's a thorough professional. She's an absolute amazing person. So she understood why this was happening and, you know, how much of a benefit it was to her. And in my mind, her first fight in the London Olympics, 5th of August 2012, I remember the date. She was fighting against a Polish girl who was strong as a tank. And that's by far the best boxing display I've ever seen. She's fast. She's accurate. She's moving well. It was phenomenal. So if you want to see good boxing, watch that fight. I, I will. I will. <laughs> Mary Kong is such an inspiration also because she defies so many you know what you'd say nature in itself or what you would say is normal or you know certain perceptions or preconceived notions that you would have that you know she's a mother and then she's held her ground for so long it's amazing yeah it is is this like a one-off wonder in a sense um, or is, is there some kind of a I don't, process that she's been following there is a process of course it has Diligence. to start with nature but there is a process because if you think Mary's defined age in boxing, Federer and Nadal are doing that in tennis. Right, Serena right. Williams is doing that. Lindan is doing that in badminton. So yes. I think the understanding of sports science, understanding of the athletes about their own bodies has all got to do with it. So Mary knows when she's not feeling up to it, she won't go and kill herself in training because her body can't recover that quickly anymore. She's extremely self-aware of how much she can take in terms of training, how much rest she requires. And that is what sets her apart. So if you look at Federer, he won't play all four slams in a year. Not anymore because his body can't take it. He can't peak four times a year. Similarly, Mary picks and chooses when she trains, how she trains, how hard she works, which competitions she wants to aim for. So the world championships is definitely something that is on her radar. So she may miss a couple of tournaments before that to make sure that she's at her peak at the world championships. So she's not just an amazing athlete. She's a smart athlete as well. And that's very important, right? Extremely so. The way you play it. Self-awareness. Yeah, you need to just be aware of yourself. And, and that Pedro is, and even yeah, Mary yeah, that Kong. is one of the traits that you see yeah. in uh, athletes who have incredible longevity. That they are extremely self-aware. They understand when enough is enough and how much is too much. So they're able to manage their training loads, pay due attention to recovery, make sure that they are fresh every single training session. Because if they are unfit or not rested enough going into a training session, then you are inviting injuries. And that self-awareness comes in when? When does it? Good question. Long- <laughs> we haven't been able to crack that. So two things we haven't cracked is self-awareness. Is that where you come in also? Not much. To be honest, we don't know where that self-awareness comes from. Because if you see the way Mary has trained, she's trained in a camp, she's trained with 40 other girls. So how does she know she's more and the yeah. others don't? Hmm. That's always a question out there. There's still something we don't know. And the second thing we don't know is uh, where does the fire and the hunger come from? So if you take a person and if they don't have the fire inside, it doesn't matter how talented they are, their careers are going to be stunted. I think so. it's a good thing. Science doesn't have answers to everything. Yeah. <laughs> Makes you keep going. Yeah, it yeah. keeps you going.
So this is your lab, is it? <laughs> Where we sort sit right of, now? Yes, huh? yes. Where you conduct your experiments, is it? Uh, a bit. Yeah, the room we are in, I do physical assessments here with my hands. I'm a physio, of course, so right. I need to touch and move the joints <sighs> to feel them. And then outside, we have some state-of-the-art equipment to check mm. for the way your your body moves, like your gait, your position, your movement. We use video cameras, we use pressure plates, we use motion sensors. And then we also need to know your performance attributes, you know, your endurance, your stamina. So we do gas analysis where every single breath the amount of oxygen you take mm-hmm. and carbon dioxide that comes out is being noted wow. okay. along with the heart rate along with how tired you feel so all of those things are done a waste product of metabolism is lactic acid so we do lactate threshold tests so we do a lot of stuff to basically get a picture if you say mm-hmm. of your current ability it can work on repeated assessments to track improvement but it can also work as a one time assessment to mm-hmm. know if you're good enough because that's what i said right first thing is to know if you're good enough so say for example last year i had a young cyclist come to me a 19 year old and his parents had a very simple question should we invest in him very valid because if you are going to put in tons of money and elite sports gets extremely expensive i mean the top-notch bike will cost you several lakhs so then it's better to know at age 19 than at age 23 whether he's going to be good enough or not so they came in and i had this one simple question should we invest in him so he came in with a cycle we tested his vo2s and we came up with a number the number was pretty good so he will probably do really well at a national level in india but numbers don't lie so i had to tell them that if he's planning to compete in india he needs a good team around him you know a good coach someone who knows what he's doing and can take him up the ladder of success but if you're planning on sending him to europe probably won't make the club side in belgium because numbers don't lie can they improve not as much as you would think it's a peak performance i mean that people are in constant yes athletes they look out for is that like a myth again or is it no 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 it's very much real there's a peak that you can reach there is a peak you can reach you can maintain it or not not for too long so for example when your body is at a hundred percent of its capacity your capacity changes day by day by the way oh so your capacity at 22 will not be your capacity at 30 age matters right okay so if you are at your maximum capacity your body literally moves like poetry in motion it's beautiful to watch it's smooth it's Mm. efficient it's fast it's accurate again watch that mary's bow anyway but you can't maintain that for too long if you try and remain at your 100% for a week or more, you are inviting injuries because it takes a lot of mental and emotional effort to reach that level. Getting to 90-92% is fairly easy. If you train right, if you pay are diligent, you can reach 90-92% of your capacity. But it's the last 5-10% that matters. But you know, I read in one of the interviews and Mary said, and she said that right now she doesn't really even need to train for like 3-4 hours. She said she maybe the younger ones might need to, but I... I'm good with my 40-45 minutes. Absolutely. And at this age. So isn't that like a... No, actually it makes a whole lot of sense. Because with her experience, she's not going to forget how to throw a punch. Right, right, right. Okay. It is just about... It's about... But but the thing is, if she's not in the right position, she can't throw that punch. Like if you think about tennis, you may have the best forehand in the business. But if you're not where you need to be to execute the forehand, then either you're stretching yourself too hard or Mm -hmm. the whole power is not coming or you hit the shot out. So in Mary's case it's not about boxing 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 because she's not going to forget how to throw a punch she reads the game better than anyone else i know so she's extremely good at all of that but she needs to stay fit 
a boxing bout lasts for 9 minutes so if she can maintain herself so that she can explore for 9 minutes straight she doesn't need to be fit for 15 minutes or 20 minutes she just needs to explore for 9 minutes so if she trains for 40 45 minutes where she's focusing on the recovery strengthening making sure that her conditioning is good muscles are strong muscles are fresh she's moving well and she's happy with the way she is training why not that doesn't apply to younger boxers though because younger boxers don't have the kind of experience or muscle memory that mary does so they need to keep practicing practicing to perfection so even when i was working with saina she would practice a shot hundreds of times a day the same shot i mean i was standing there and i get bored she is doing the same movement over and over again but she would keep doing it thousands of shuttle shot, shuttle mm-hmm. would be fired by her coach towards her to elicit a specific movement and she would do it i think instinctively it is just ingrained in yes. you because the thing is that to think and to act takes longer it than takes just long, to act right just to act so when you are in a match situation microseconds count you want it to be instinctive you want it to be automatic if you spend too much time thinking okay yahan se aa raha hai so i need to move it this way the shuttle's gone this is very interesting because we spoke of so many different sports yes. so there should be some basic ones which are there some basic what do you say not rules or whatever that might apply across sports that you yes. look at and then there will be some differentials right yes. so how do you look at that over here in this so the basics are pretty simple to gauge i mean it depends on the age and the sport but there are some basic principles that remain are you drinking enough water are you sleeping enough is your nutrition okay are you getting enough protein in your diet the reason being muscles are made of protein okay. and you can't build a wall without bricks so if you are having low protein in your diet your recovery is affected you end up going to training sessions tired mm-hmm. and then you don't train hard and your performance drops so vitamin d becomes very important again for muscle and bone development so the some of the basics are just good habits making sure that you warm up well mm-hmm. making sure you cool down well that you stretch regularly you pay attention to strengthening you have a good diet you sleep well you have enough water these are basics so once these basics are in place then you start looking at sport actual sport there the first thing that comes into play is number of years of training quality of training where they rank in terms of their peers all of those things come into play so for example if it's a 13 14 year old boy who's playing well and is growing fast i would be too a uh, bit skeptical about pinning him as the next great the reason being at age 13 14 he may just be ahead of the curve in terms of physical development maybe he started puberty at age 11 and his peers started at age 12 so by the time he's 13 he's at 2 years of physical growth which is why he may be slightly ahead of the curve mm. so i at that point at a 14 year old i would advise the parents that excellent that he is doing well but don't get complacent you still have to warm up well you still have to cool down well you still have to drink enough water and all the other things that i just said and just stay focused and keep training regularly by the time the growth phase ends by the time the child is 16 or 17 that's when you can compare his rankings to his peers the way he moves the way a knowledge of the game and that is where a coach is the best person to pin him as the next star once the coach thinks that okay this guy is good enough i think he's got really really good chance that's when sports scientists get involved mm-hmm. to do all the poking and prodding and running and testing to figure out are there any more lacunae in his training or in his makeup that can be improved upon so how young is it how young is too young how old is too old to get into any kind of such sporting it uh, depends on the sport activity. to be honest i wouldn't take up a sport 
seriously until I was 14 or 15. That's not to say I don't play any sport, but I would say play more than one sport till the time you're 14 or 15. Because the thing is that if you take something like, say, rifle shooting, okay, India is doing really well in rifle shooting at the moment. You stand in really abnormal postures and you hold yourself very, very steady. For a developing body, what happens is certain muscles get long, certain muscles get short, your postural changes happen, and that can affect you later on in life. So you can't only shoot, you need to do something else as well. You need to move. So I never recommend playing a singular sport, at least until the age of 14, 15, when the child is smart enough to understand okay i love doing this Mm -hmm. and i want to do that because if you pressure as a child from say the age of six or seven so what happens is you always risk a burnout where the child loses interest so in the early part of the sport it's always important to make sure that it's also fun now, there are exceptions. There are always exceptions. I mean, if you've read Agassi's book, Open, okay, mm-hmm. he talks about the fact that he hated tennis and his dad actually tennis, forced him yeah. to play it and then he got good at it. Once he got good at it and once he started getting ATP points, That's then fair. that, yeah. you know, that so hunger, hunger came into play. In. Yeah. But initially he hated it. Even through his adult life, he says, I hate tennis. Why would someone play that? But he can't keep himself away right. from it. So that is one approach. The other approach is where he plays tennis and plays other sports and takes a decision. Okay, tennis is something I'm good at and I want to play at. Both approaches work. In fact, uh, some would say... But mostly, I think if you see most of the athletes and across sports, yes, most of them speak of a very strong role model. Yes, they do. You know, kind of push them. Yes, really they do. Push them yes, to give yes. them the best. Absolutely. And even if they look back and say a part of their childhood is gone because of that kind of intense yes. focus. yes. They're definitely grateful to the parents. Of so course they where are. do you draw a line as a parent? I know, that's a question, isn't it? Because the thing is that if you take the example of these guys who say that they were pushed into it or bullied into it and they did very well and they're thankful to everyone, they're super successful athletes. How many people end up being super successful? Right. So the question is, and at the other end of the spectrum, you have so many people who are NBA stars or football sure. stars who played multiple sports. Like if you even take the example of, say, John T. Rhodes in mm-hmm. cricket, He was in the South African hockey team as well. And he was in their cricket team. So I believe for all-round development, at least until you hit the middle of your growth spurt, you shouldn't specialize. Doesn't mean they don't play sports, but they play more than one sport. So that, you know, their body is properly developed, they're physically stronger. And there are quite a few athletes, I think, who play like... Who played multiple sports, yeah. yeah. I think Bolt also recently... Oh, he was a cricketer. Oh, yeah, cricketer. He was a cricketer, then he became a runner and, and wants now wants to play football. football yeah. <laughs> so now, uh, now that you know, you have these... Okay, let's start in terms of Indians being very sedentary. Yes. Leading sedentary lifestyles. Not really understanding muscle in itself. Not giving it any due credence. It's just there. It's there. Unless and until you get a problem somewhere. Sure. And then how important is it? And how do you start really taking care of it? I don't think it's an India specific problem. I think it's a problem with people worldwide. And every, uh, even all the developed countries have been through these issues. So earlier you are more sedentary, you are, you know, more of an agrarian society, then you progress to, you know, development goes through, you become, have diseases of senescence like diabetes, blood pressure, hypertension and all of those Mm -hmm. issues. And then you somewhere find the middle ground where you're balancing work life. Every country has gone through that. I don't think we are a unique exception, but we can take lessons from all these things because we see people who have a good work-life balance. And I mean, there are so many people in India who work for MNCs where their employees abroad have a work life balance and the employees in India don't. So you can always learn things are progressing. I think the main thing you need to do is just be aware that 
you need movement in physio we have a saying motion is lotion okay? okay and if you just keep that in mind and you keep moving regularly take the stairs walk don't always have to take an auto or a taxi to you know go to some place which is 10 minutes away so if you just get moving that makes a big difference and if you just think about it two decades ago two and a half decades ago people used to walk a lot not everyone would jump in an uber yeah. or get an auto you would see people walking the last mile was always walking so you went by train wherever you had to go and then you walked the rest mm. but this door step delivery was not there people had to go out for shopping now we don't we just amazon it right so all of those things uh, i'm not saying technology is bad i love technology but i'm saying that you need to find a healthy balance i think something like this fitness watches have made uh, a, a big difference because yeah. they're not very accurate but at least they have a pedometer which tells you how many steps you do yeah, steps, yeah. yeah? Uh, 10000 steps is bare minimum okay it's not a goal it's not an achievement it's bare minimum so right. if you can at least hit that it makes a difference spoke of beyond walking but yeah. there's a huge revolution now in terms of running yes there is <laughs> you know especially in terms of corporates yes and it's a it's a sport i think which is very accessible anyone can kind of get up and run yeah but what would your advice be in terms of you know if you have to run a marathon or something or that sort uh, and your uh, okay maybe... there's a difference between running for fun and running for fitness and actually pursuing a endurance event so when you run for fun or you run for fitness then the amount of time you have to devote and the amount of fatigue you have to tolerate is significantly less so say if i ask you to start going out for a jog 30 minutes every day what will happen is as you get fitter you will probably be able to cover more distance but you know that you're blocked for only 30 minutes a day and that's the amount of fatigue you're going to have it's completely up to you on days that maybe you haven't slept well had an upset tummy or have a lot of travel ahead of you you may run a bit slower but you are still giving 30 minutes a day and that's good enough for fitness and maintenance now when you start pursuing endurance events like a half marathon or a full marathon you are actually breaching the run between someone who's running for fitness and someone who's an amateur athlete because it's not half an hour every day you have to run four to five times a week and you have to run significantly more mileage if you are running a half marathon at your peak you might be doing 50 60 kilometers a week if you are running a full marathon, marathon at your peak you might be doing 80 to 100 kilometers a week it completely depends on you know how you're training and what you're doing so if those are the kind of demands you're going to make on your body in terms of physical pressure you also need to pay attention to the other side of the coin which is recovery so anyone who wants to go for endurance events i always recommend that get your basics right make sure you're recovering well make sure you're sleeping well make mm-hmm. sure you're resting enough otherwise you're just torturing yourself and have a plan so mm-hmm. ideally go with a coach someone who understands when to push when to pull you back so when you all step in it's more in terms of how you improve the both the things both the things. so say for example someone plans to do the comrades in june uh, they have started training from feb so now is a good time to actually come in and get a full assessment done in terms of your gait in terms of your endurance stamina so that right now at the start of training you know what muscles need to get stronger and you know whether you need a change in shoes whether you need insoles uh, what pace is good for you running at what pace will harm you and you know what heart rate zones you have to target and all of those things you can come to know if you do them now that is something to avoid future injuries so that you already right. know that these are the yeah. problems i have and i have 4 months to fix it before my race the other end of the spectrum is people who come in at their peak and they just want to know what their fitness levels are so that becomes like a one time assessment where you come in you do the check it's like maybe checking your hemoglobin levels right. you get a blood right. test done oh my hemoglobin is good I'm yeah great 
Yeah. Yeah. So those are the two things that happen. I always prefer the first approach because then you're avoiding injuries and you're enjoying your run. The other approach is not bad. Like someone who's a regular runner, they just want to see where they are at. That's fine. I was going to tell you, uh, ask you about injuries because that is the dreaded word. It's not, uh, it's inevitable. Uh, no, not really. Not really. You can. Inevitable as in Murphy's Law, if something can go wrong, <laughs> will go wrong. But you can definitely reduce the chances of it. Most of the injuries that amateur athletes are afflicted with, people mm. say who run the Mumbai Marathon or mm. any of the other races, is because they don't allow enough time for rest. So they follow a proper training plan. They increase the mileage, you know, as recommended. They're following everything. But two things that sort of pull them down is inadequate rest. What happens is they are pushing themselves, but they're not sleeping enough. So, for example, I had a client once who came, who's been doing the same distance, training the same way for the last 10 years, but now he's in pain. So I asked him, what changed? He said, nothing. I'm all fine. I'm training the way I used to. So I asked him, did something change six to eight months back? He says, yeah, I became a partner in my firm. So how did that make a difference to your life? Is the stress more? He said, slightly. Are you sleeping less? He said, oh yeah, that's true. So I went from sleeping six and a half hours every day to I may be averaging five, five and a half hours now. So if you think about it, he went from averaging 40 plus hours of sleep a week to just about 35. 35. Yeah. So that's why that's made a big difference for him. And when you're running, you wake up early and go for a run Mm. because after that, the traffic in the city is horrible. Right. So over a period of time, four to six months time, his body gradually got sore, more sore to a point where he was in pain. So I told him, there's nothing wrong with you. You aren't injured, injured. There's nothing Mm. like torn or broken. You just have disgruntled employees. You made them overwork. You didn't pay them enough. (laughs) So, and so he went back, he started paying attention more to his rest and recovery and he was pain-free because, yeah, yeah, sometimes it's a small thing that... It's a small uh, thing, right? Yeah. And the cumulative effect. Cumulative effect. kind of just totally disregard that. Because your life style is not changing. You think it's just about half an hour, one hour a day. I mean, per day, but how it It adds adds up. up. Over a period of weeks to months, it adds up. said it that way, it really makes a difference. It adds up. And the second thing that goes wrong is people want to run 12 months a year. Even elite athletes don't train 12 months a year. Okay, they train maybe eight to nine months a year. You always need an off season. So say, for example, you've had a a niggle in your knee this season. If you just keep running, 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 when do you correct it? Okay, maybe Mm. there's an injury there. Maybe it's just weakness. Maybe your one side is being loaded more compared to the other. All those muscle imbalances or stuff. When do you correct it if you don't have an off season? So I believe those are the two major mistakes that amateur runners make. Mm. One is not paying due attention to rest and recovery. And the second is not taking an off season so that is why you sort of predispose yourself to aches pains niggles which can progress to an injury can anyone run actually oh yeah anyone can run but the thing is that um, if you just get off the couch and say tomorrow i'm usain bolt not (laughs) that's not happening so if you just want to run yeah sure everyone can run but you have to understand that not everyone is built the same way no not everyone's a kipchoge so (laughs) Run within your means because Mm. the thing is that you may want to run a full marathon. But if you have kids at home and you're working and all of those, can you really spare the time? If you can't spare the time, you're just, you know, squeezing yourself and good for business. (laughs) But no, not really. So, I mean, we spoke of quite a few, but what are the myths that you can really encounter? You know, some so many, I'm sure there are so many. I mean, we just spoke of two. So it's not myths, myths, but it's some things which are given more credibility than it should. So say, for example, we always 
hear the talk about recovery drinks and during run drinks yeah, and pre run right, drinks right, and right, all right, of right. that and while they do serve a purpose and they so might marketing. help include <laughs> improve you by 1% are you really at a level where that 1% makes a difference so it may make a difference for someone who is a few seconds of the world record but does it really make a difference when you run a half marathon in 2 and a half hours or you run a full marathon in 5 hours does it really make a difference that much do the supplements make a difference yes but do they make enough of a difference for you because when i was working with saina sometimes i would wonder that how is she able to do this because before training she would have a cup of tea and go for it so forget your all jam jam about yeah. you know uh, pre workout no, drinks right. and all of that that's what she loved she said this is what i like this is what i'm going to do and to be honest she was able to do it so how can you say that's wrong because her sport isn't completely about all out running in one line her sport involves a lot of agility ability understanding of the game mm. and other far more factors so it involves physical and technical attributes in equal measure so then for her getting that last 1% or last 0.1% in physical did not make that much of a difference but her ability to train well her ability to understand the game well mm. matters more it's horses for courses so right. these are not myths about right. pre workout drinks they help right. about workout drinks mm-hmm. or protein intake afterwards they all help but do they help you as with everything else as with everything else so if you are uh, having the best supplements in the business but you are sleeping 4 hours a night it's not working mm. it's really not working coming to you know this whole thing of professionals like we said cxos we have lots of them from marath- you know marathoners triathletes sure. cyclists and all of them want to clock out yeah yeah get to the next notch so then with the job with the high pressure job with this passion so how do you how what are some of the tips that you can you know provide in terms of don't forget recovery <laughs> that's, that's what i would yeah. suggest don't forget recovery because mm. uh, the thing is that uh, always remember why you're engaging in sports people engage in sports either because it's a hobby or because they want to get fitter and fresher mm-hmm. and uh, they want to have a healthier lifestyle all very good goals but none of them go hand in hand with pain and torture and misery so always remember don't carry your competitive streak from work into your play hobbies should be hobbies they should be relaxing but if you carry your competitive streak from work into play that's where most problems start okay. i mean mm-hmm. what pace is the other guy running at what race is the other guy doing? doing why i mean is that why you entered this people usually enter into sports or recreation or hobbies because it's a hobby right. it gives you time off it's yeah. your time it's your time to relax and recover and endurance sports provide an incredible opportunity to do that because you're alone on the road with your thoughts to yourself endurance running is slightly painful so it causes release of certain chemicals in the body that numb pain and cause relaxation it is amazing like mm. a little bit of running will really really work as a good stress buster but use it as a stress buster don't add that to your stress don't say that okay tomorrow i need to run so much distance and so much speed if you can do it great but if you're pushing past your limits you're not sleeping well because of it i won't advise this to elite athletes too. for elite athletes it's your job it's your profession you better be right, ready to right, die right, doing right, it right right but for an amateur athlete pain i think that you can take or you should it's take. not limits of pain is it why did you enter into running because you want to become the next usain bolt or did you enter into running because you want to get fitter you want to get more healthier and right. you want to enjoy doing something that you really want to do and then 
then you also get the opportunity to travel for races soak in the atmosphere you know enjoy the right. whole process of it but on the other hand you're like very competitive no i need to mm. run this race at this pace at this distance i don't have time to sleep but i'm still going to wake up at 4 and go for a run so a fine balance between self awareness you need to have a balance keeping yes. a check of your ego i think <laughs> i i, I didn't say that <laughs> I'm just saying that <laughs> pain and fun don't always go hand in hand. Right. <laughs> so how early can you start improving on your muscle health? Oh, at any age. At any age. And it should be done as young as So it depends. Like if you have a 3 or a 4 year old, mm-hmm. right? Just running and jumping upstairs is muscle conditioning for them. And I would highly recommend that. Let them play. Let them Which is why children should get out and play and yeah, not play on the You should children. play, you should play on the in the park where you do rolling and what not, you get up, you lie down, you jump up, you everything. Right. That's muscle conditioning. That mm-hmm. improves balance, that improves coordination, that improves your brain's understanding of your own physical self. See, it's like this. You always hear that if someone's twisted an ankle they keep twisting the same ankle again and again oh, yes. one of the reasons that happens is because once an ankle twists and there's pain and swelling there the brain doesn't know exact position of the ankle oh is it so given our fantastic roads and amazing traffic mm-hmm. you can't always look at your feet when you walk so mm-hmm. then if your brain doesn't know where your ankle is yeah. the chance of it landing badly and twisting increases mm-hmm. so this understanding of the body by the brain comes by moving mm-hmm. so let the kids move let the kids play let them jump up jump down run here run there it's mm-hmm. all good when you start to get a little bit older then you might have to have more formal strength training programs where you yeah. do calf raises lunges squats etc you start working with elastic bands and tubes and you do bodyweight training quite a bit of it and then you get to the next level where you actually have to push with weights so it's all part and parcel of growing up and the number of beginners or novice people who are also taking to some kind of sport yes. now i think i'm sure it's really increasing yeah, yeah it has so how much of a change have you seen in that mindset oh i'm very happy with the change i have seen people are more aware of it every single person who comes here for treatment is paying attention to their diet is paying attention they may not always know what they need to pay attention to for example they may read up on blogs and design a <laughs> diet program by themselves but they're thinking about and this thinking goes from you to your kid so the kids see what their parents right. are doing and they try to do it better and i think it's a great thing that's happening yeah. people are more aware of it nine minutes uh, coming uh, yeah, this yeah. year and There's a huge shift, right? There's there's a shift that's happening in terms. There of is a mindset. shift that's happening, and it's uh, going from top to bottom. So if yeah. you see a lot of CEOs and MDs, right. they are getting into it. So then it percolates down. It percolates down, down yeah. which is what you've seen also. Yeah. You know, Tanchar mar- Marathon. I mean. Marathon now Mumbai, TMM, yeah. Yeah, now this is Tata Mumbai Marathon, which started, and it actually the role of corporates has yeah. been so huge, especially the leaders. And then you know you push your colleagues to come also yeah. on the field, and we so, need so many such more events. So I have, a, I, I know of a few corporates who actually institute training programs or institute right. uh, stuff for their employees. Mm. Have running groups. I know Edelweiss has a running group in them. Right. I think the CEO is a big yeah, time yeah, runner. Yeah. He's a big time. Yeah, yeah, he's he's very good at it. So um, Edelweiss does it. Apar Industries does it. So there are so many, so many more. TCS has it. So there are so many companies which, because the top brass is into fitness and training, they have actually made programs for their employees to get fitter. And they say Atul Industries. They have their center at Walsad, mm. which is like a mini Jamshedpur. They have so many clubs there: running clubs, cycling clubs. Fantastic the way mm. the top-down approach is actually making people more aware. Recently, I read even the Mumbai police has started something <laughs> like that for their employees. Yeah. which is fantastic is there like a formula to outperform is there a formula to be a merry com <laughs> it is nature and nurture at the end of the day and then every person is different so what works for a merry will not work for a clone so 
it is extremely individual. At the end of the day, if you want to win medals, you have to put your athlete under the microscope. You have to watch everything, what they eat, when they eat, keep an eye on how their muscles are responding, how much rest they're getting. It's a constant dialogue between the coach, the physio, the sports scientist and the athlete. experience? I would say my first taste of success will always be the one that stays with me, which is Mericom, because it was at the Olympics. I mean, the amount of effort that we took when she lost to Nicola Adams in the semifinals, Mm. okay? Some things didn't go up to plan. It happens, Murphy's Law. And it was extremely shattering. Extremely, extremely shattering. And the sadness that we felt that, you know, the experience of losing, I think that's my fondest memory. It's a little counterintuitive, isn't it? But the reason is because the hard work that we put in then was phenomenal and that was the cause of the sadness. That it was, we weren't sad that we didn't win a medal. The medal, yeah. We were sad that the amount of effort we put in did not help Mary reach her goal. We all went there for the gold and it was Mary and Nicola for the gold medal going into the Olympics. We knew that. Unfortunately, they met in the semis. Not everything went to plan a day before the match and Mary was not at 100%. She was maybe at 95% and at that level it's enough. She convincingly lost the fight and even Mary says that if any other day she could have taken on Nicola but that wasn't the day. Mm. So there are always things that go screw up but the sadness we felt was a direct conclusion of the immense efforts for several months that we had put in and the fact that we were able to work that hard. The fact that we did work as a team. Yeah, that's, that's my fondest memory. And the team doesn't just mean Mary, her coach, myself. It means everyone who's involved in it. Everyone who's involved with it. Like for example, when we training we were training in Pune the hotel we were staying in Mary wanted to have fresh juice that was part of her diet and she prefers it cold so as soon as we told the manager that you know can something be done and we went for training by the time we came back there was a fridge in her room so these small things where even the hotel feels part of it and they are taking those extra steps just for her comfort just to make sure that she can get the right nutrition they are also part of the team they are also one of the reasons why we ended up succeeding our sparring partners mm-hmm. absolute worth their weight in gold if you don't have a good competition how will you improve right. so the fact that they were getting beaten up by Mary but you know they mm-hmm. didn't let their egos come into the way they were two young boys by the way right. who did that they would listen to the coach and fight in a way that would push Mary but towards the end of it she was getting so strong that they were getting a beating <laughs> but never did they lose their mind or throw mm-hmm. a wayward punch that might hurt Mary never mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. impressive it's everyone restraint also. Yeah, yeah. does yeah. everyone who's there played a part. It's wonderful. No, we don't really know, right? We just see Mary fighting. The thing that goes behind the months of hard work and diligence and not just for Mary, also the entire Every team, small, every small thing matters. And then you come back to a win. You know, so that distance it's between that, that, the loss and the... Anyone who's not won gold is lost. <laughs> honestly. Right. So, so uh, it, it, that matters, huh? the gold. Matters. And by the time you reach the Olympics, it's not just a saying, mm. but you never win a go- uh, silver. You always lose a gold. So what happens really? Okay, you, how do you wake up with that same enthusiasm? Or whoa, whoa, so when that- we got back, the Olympics is extremely tiring for everyone, physically and mentally. Mm. So uh, when I got back from both the Olympics, in fact, I would sleep for 12 hours and wake up tired. Because you're on such a hair trigger and it's like three, four months where you've not had a single day off to rest mm-hmm. on the couch and put your feet up. Never happens because you're constantly working. It takes a few months after the Olympics before you wake up in the morning and you're like, let's get to work. <laughs> but apart from that, just the fact that you know, 
know these are such amazing people such dedicated athletes mm-hmm. and you get to be a part of helping them you know achieve whatever they are capable of achieving that's i mean this is you may think cool. about it as living uh, vicariously but then why not <laughs> it's <laughs> I mean, fun as long as it is fun. and they are just phenomenal people like, i'll tell you an example about mary which i always remember the first time when i went to her place in imphal um, she was doing jhadu pocha okay right and mm-hmm. i asked mary mary you do this so she's like as a wife and a mother it is my duty so when you are with such incredible people mm-hmm. it's I'm just it just gets you out of bed in the morning phenomenal i think we came to know so many lovely things speaking with you nikhil thank you so much but now to get to know you because like you said since 14 you've been swimming and you know your passions like you know this portal is all about passion sure. you have your work yes you are blessed in a way that your passion itself yeah i i got work. to make my passion into a profession i'm lucky that but way. apart yeah. from the work related yeah. passion that you yourself how you groom yourself your yeah. own hobbies like you said swimming i think that has stayed with you um, swimming has stayed with running me running is another the one yes. and rock climbing which yes. is i thought is very interesting so if you could take us you know briefly through these three it's, aspects so swimming also. was uh, my mom always called me a water baby i always used to have fun <laughs> in the water so swimming was a natural extension of it and so i when really really into the pool really uh, no i got into the pool when i was 12 12 yeah okay. before that i used to do some martial arts you see bruce lee movies and you want to be bruce lee and then you realize <laughs> it's not your cup of tea through that phase right <laughs> and then you know it's not your cup of tea so then i was like absolutely like... <laughs> uh, yeah i'm not built for that so then i got into the pool and i really really enjoyed it i really really loved swimming it it gives you so much freedom yeah. you, know, you you can go down you can go up you can go fast you can go slow hold your breath walk on the floor whatever you want to do so yeah it's a lot of lot of fun so really you discovered that you just loved the water i love the water and i love the sport of swimming mm-hmm. it's it wasn't that i just want to laze around in the water i mm-hmm. wanted to swim i wanted yeah. to cover miles and it was a lot of fun and similarly i took up to running and the way it happened was uh, the first tanchard mumbai marathon in mm-hmm. i think in 04 that's when it started so that grabbed my attention karke dekhte hain so i started with the half marathon trained myself went for it was shit at it but i loved it because mm-hmm. again I, i i ended up being an endurance athlete so mm-hmm. the distance is not as much of a problem to for me I, i don't have any speed but the distance is something i can manage my systems are geared to working at a decent level for a long time but again with all endurance sport it gives you a high that's what happened to me in swimming that's what happened to me in running and then when you get that high you're like yeah you're right but you always have to remember that yeah you can't kill yourself doing it luckily because of my swimming background i already had that lesson that you can't kill yourself doing yeah. it so you always been into sports as well yeah, as well as you sports. managed to get into one of the top medical colleges well over. actually i uh, so how have you managed that really <laughs> yeah i guess my parents gave me good genes but uh, the point is after 12 i was actually getting mbbs in one of the top colleges in mumbai but then i was never passionate about mbbs i, I always want to go into you. sports I mean, but in spite of getting that i mean there was no pressure from my parents that you know think about it luckily my parents just asked me once are you sure i said yes and they were like okay with it wow, a okay. thousand other people called me an idiot but then yeah. that's okay got to be an idiot right so yes i got to be an idiot i'm <laughs> proud of it <laughs> the movie three idiots changed the whole you know it's cool to uh, be an idiot <laughs> yeah but the thing is that the way i figured it is if 
I my entire thing was about performance enhancement, figuring mm-hmm. out how to get better performance. If I went into MBBS, then the most I could do was either sports medicine, mm-hmm. where you are you know looking after athletes' health issues, not actual performance, or you could end up being an orthopedic surgeon and mm-hmm. uh, treating injuries. Neither of those two outcomes I was fancied by. I was like, nah, I don't want to take care of injuries. I want to prevent injuries. I want to improve performance. But for that so, realization, also at such a young that age, that happened because of swimming. Because I was in sport. If I hadn't been in sport, then I probably wouldn't have understood there are so many aspects to it. That's why it's so important, isn't it? The dimensions that your body itself yeah. that makes you understand sure. about yourself. Quite amazing. So, in terms of swimming, if you yeah. go back, you said you swam at a national level. Yeah, yeah. One of my competitions was in the Ganga. For, Is it? Yeah, 19 kilometers. Wow. And I survived in that water. But then I swam a couple of times, a few times at, at Gateway as well. And I've survived that. So Wow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you like apprehend this before the Ganga cleaning? It's not really because everyone jumps in. So you go with the flow. And then once you go in, you realize you can't see anything. The water oh is so bad. Yeah. It's dark. You can't wow. see anything. So if you can't see anything, you just have to keep swimming. So now do you swim? I mean, have you yeah, taken... Yeah, I do swim. Uh, as a recreationally. In, you've got uh, time now. I yeah, yeah. Recreationally, I do swim. Recreationally, I do run. <laughs> okay. Hopefully, I might also go for a triathlon soon. <laughs> yeah, we have the Ironman coming now. So. Yeah, I don't think I'll be ready for that. But anyway. <laughs> when do you think you'll be ready? Half Iron, hopefully end of the year. Okay. Let's see. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I think everybody has their own milestone. The thing is that right now, if you put me in water, the swimming part is damn easy. That's it's the distance is yeah. not a problem. If you ask me to run a half marathon, yeah, probably. If you ask me to cycle 80, cycle. 90 kilometers, yeah, probably. Like once off, I can do it. Agle din band bach jayegi, lekin wo main khatam kar lunga. Hmm. But doing all three together, yeah. <laughs> I'm not ready for that yet. That's like a mad thing, right? I mean, this yeah, you need to give it at least five, six months of proper training to achieve that. Maybe I'll give it this year. Even the marathon, you need to take it slow. You need to give it, it time. Yeah. You need to give it time. It hmm. can't be that you do everything you normally do and run. It has to be running front and center and everything else has to adapt around it. So in a day, you mark like so and so for like running or swimming? No, not like that. It's like if you're talking about marathons, it's more about... Running takes priority. So if you have to wake up at 4, you better sleep at 8. So Mm -hmm. you get your enough rest. So you can't say I've got a dinner and everything and I still want to run. Mm -hmm. No, if you're planning on doing the marathon and doing it well and you're not experienced enough to do Mm -hmm. it, then you have to make sure that that is the center of your life for a few months. So I'm saying this rock climbing, I think you've... So rock climbing was something that just happened. My friend said, hey, there's a rock climbing course. Do you want to do it? And I was like... Yeah, why not? That's a rock climbing course. Yeah, there was at that point. There's okay. there are there is a uh, explorers and adventurers club in Mumbai. Okay, it's a pretty old club mm-hmm. of enthusiastic people who re- go regularly on expeditions mm-hmm. and trekking and all of these things. A myriad group of motley crew of people, but they are all enthusiastic and they do stuff in their own way. So they used to hold a rock climbing training course at mm-hmm. uh, National Park. Okay, this is like 15 years ago or something. Mm-hmm. And my friend he was super enthusiastic about it, so I said, okay, let's go. And I. I found it fun. It was a lot of fun. You need to have fun friends. <laughs> Sorry? You need to have fun friends also. But the rock climbing itself was a lot of fun. Right. You oh. end up with sore fingers but it's still a lot of fun. I still not understood how the hell you managed to kind of climb. So it's all about balancing yourself. So you have to be really fit also, isn't it? Your muscles. And you need to be fit, yes. But then if you keep you climbing regularly, you automatically, the body adapts. Great. So do you go often now in terms of... So climbing? running and swimming is something I still do cycling sometimes but rock climbing has taken a back seat because it's a little out of my way now the thing is that Sundays I don't like to step out anymore (laughs) 
I have spent enough time away from my home. So right. Sundays is usually the day you go for rock climbing, but I don't wake up on Sundays. <laughs> you deserve a break, I think, one day a week. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Given your schedule. Thank you so much, Nikhil, for the talk. Thank Most you welcome. so much. Thank you. <laughs>